Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1221. War Games Part 3, subtitled Rittenhouse Nation. This is being recorded on January 10th of the year 2022. This is the first program of the new year. I don't think it is going to be a very happy new year, but let's hope for the best. Uh, three links, reminders. These are at the top of each written program description for For the Record and at the top of each Food for Thought post. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor, Terrafractal, some of which are made by other intelligent listeners. Uh, the second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being uh, done by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, then uh, WFMU is uh, making just those available. The third link will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my roughly 43 years on the air's work on it, plus a mini-library of old anti-fascist books with um, easy-to-download PDF files. I get no money whatsoever from that, and I could not be more pessimistic about our future. I have discussed... Uh, what I believe is going to be the apotheosis of our civilization. Uh, apotheosis actually means a transcendence. I don't, I think there will be a transcendence. I don't think it is going to be good at all. I think we are doomed, and there actually is a, a horrible pun there because we're going to be talking about doom, not only one of the military-spiled games that is helping to train uh, recruits in the military for um, using their weaponry. It also is a reference to a quote from Henry Miller's novel, Tropic of Cancer. And in that, Henry Miller wrote the quote, America is the very incarnation of doom, and she will lead the rest of the world into the bottomless pit. Sadly, I'm afraid he is correct. Penn Jones, one of the pioneering JFK assassination researchers, used that quote in one of his Forgive My Grief uh, books about the JFK assassination. And uh, in the program that I'm going to be doing this evening, we're going to be using a book which, uh, again, is proof that big things come in small packages. It's a short book with big print and large margins. Nonetheless, it is uh, very important and very depressing, frankly. The book is called The Complex, How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives. And uh, the author is Nick Terse, T-U-R-S-E, and uh, it was published in softcover by Picador Books and copyright by Henry Holt and Company. And it talks about, quite literally, how the military invades our everyday lives. The term the complex comes from Dwight B. Eisenhower's farewell State of the Union address in 1961 when he spoke of the dangers to the American way of life of the military-industrial complex. And as Nick Terse points out, the 
Uh, military industrial complex is way beyond what, uh, Dwight Eisenhower contemplated. Uh, Again, I, I think we are doomed, and uh, there is, again, a, a pun there with one of the games that we are going to discuss. So please get the flash drive, and uh, again, I think, you know, intelligent, diligent, mature listeners have a, frankly, uh, responsibility to get that and to preserve the record of what is taking place for future generations. Uh, I don't watch television at all and haven't for a long time. I rarely go to the movies, so uh, parts of this book were absolutely revelatory to me, and none more so than the chapter called A Virtual World of War about uh, video games and their resonant synthesis with the military. That synthesis is discussed by... Uh, Nick Purse in a chapter called A Virtual World of War about the video gaming industry. And it's, again, resonant synthesis with uh, the military and uh, the incorporation of video gaming into a cognitive progression and a professional progression that leads to the training of the military. In A Virtual World of War, Nick Purse writes, Today, the military toy and gaming worlds are completely entangled, and the future promises only more, inter- in- only more interpenetrations and complex collaborations that would have made Dwight Eisenhower's head spin. One more time. Today, the military toy and gaming worlds are completely entangled and the future promises only more interpenetrations and complex collaborations that would have made Dwight Eisenhower's head spin. With defense spending hovering in the $555 billion range annually, it's up to about three-quarters of a trillion now, and actual national security expenditures edging toward the $1 trillion mark, with the U.S. toy industry registering $22 billion annually, annual video game software and hardware sales in the U.S. topping $12.5 billion, and U.S. sales of PC games reaching over $1 billion each year, with an overstretched all-volunteer military, multiple unpopular wars abroad, a global war on terror in full swing, and no outcry from the public over the militarization of popular culture. Who knows what the future holds? Um, Interjecting, obviously, this book, in this regard, is somewhat dated. It was published in 2008. Uh, The war in Afghanistan went on for another 12 years, and... uh, it, uh, it did not become popular, but uh, now we have the, what uh, the Pentagon terms great power competition. Now we're squaring off with uh, Russia and China. Uh, Nick Kirst goes on to uh, write, Certainly the day is not far off when most potential U.S. troops will have grown up playing commercial video games that were created by the military as training simulators will be recruited, at least in part, through video games, will be tested, 
post-enlistment on advanced video game systems will be trained using simulators which will later be turned into video games or on reconfigured versions of the very same games used to recruit them or that they played as kids will be taught to pilot vehicles using devices resembling commercial video game controllers and then, after a long day of real-life wargaming, head back to their quarters to kick back and play the latest PlayStation or Xbox games created with or sponsored by their own or another branch of the armed forces. More and more toys are now poised to become clandestine combat teaching tools and more and more simulators are destined to be tomorrow's toys. And what of tomorrow, oh, and what of America's children and young adults in all this? How will they be affected by the dazzling set of military training devices now landing in their living rooms and on their PCs produced by video game giants under the watchful eyes of the Pentagon? After all, what these games offer is less a matter of simple military indoctrination and more like a mere immersion in a virtual world of war where armed conflict is not the last, but the first and indeed the only resort. Indeed, that is why I have subtitled this program Rittenhouse Nation. I was the only thing that amazed me about the Rittenhouse phenomenon was that people were shocked. I mean, what did they expect? Uh, particularly with people stretched uh, very thin psychologically by the pandemic, or what I termed in uh, the early parts of that long series that I did for the better part of two years, the BioPsyop Apocalypse. In particular, in photo record 1161, I noted the effects of uh, the pandemic on people's psyches. And recall that in the spring of 2020, there was a paper published by a member of the New York Federal Reserve Board that uh, opined or that basically maintained that there was a strong link between the psychosocial effects of the 1918 flu pandemic and the rise of Nazism in Germany. Uh, it's interesting to contemplate because by 1997, uh, Fort Dietrich researchers had isolated the genome of the 1918 influenza virus and it had been synthesized in its entirety by 2005. I do not think this pandemic is an accident uh, the virus did originate in a laboratory and it wasn't in China, it was in the U.S., and it didn't bleep and link, uh, leak. It was deliberately disseminated. And again, I think we are doomed. And speaking of doom, and bear in mind what uh, Henry Miller wrote about in uh, Tropic of Cancer, Doom is a video game that has been adapted to uh, various military uh, iterations. And the synthesis, when I call the relationship between uh, military training simulators and military training and uh, the video game industry a resonant Synthesis, that this is what I am talking about. We spoke about this in our last program. Just days into the ground combat portion of the Gulf War. That, by the way, is Gulf War uh, 1, uh, back in 1991. Just days into the ground combat portion of the Gulf War, 
the Battle of 73 Easting, E-A-S-T-I-N-G, pitted American armored vehicles against a much larger Iraqi tank force. The U.S. troops, who were trained using the SIMNET system, routed the Iraqis. Within days, the military began turning the actual battle into a digital simulation for use with SIMNET, intensive debriefing sessions with 150 veterans of the battle were undertaken. One more time. Within days, the military began turning the actual battle into a digital simulation for use with SIMNET. Intensive debriefing sessions with 150 veterans of the battle were undertaken. Then, Barber personnel went out onto the battlefield with the veterans, surveying tank tracks and burned-out Iraqi vehicles as the veterans walked them, through, walked them through each individual segment of the clash. Additionally, radio communications, satellite photos, and black boxes from U.S. tanks were used to gather even more details. Nine months after the actual combat took place, a digital recreation of the Battle of 73 Easting was premiered for high-ranking military personnel. Here was the culmination of Thorpe's efforts to create a network system that would allow troops to train for future wars using the new technology combined with accurate historical data. In late 1993, with the green glow of Gulf War victory already fading, id Software introduced the video game Doom. Gamers began modifying shareware copies of this ultra-violent, ultra-popular first-person shooter, prompting id to release editing software the next year. The ability to customize Doom caught the attention of members of the Marine Corps Modeling and Simulation Management Office, who had been passed by the Corps' Commandant Charles Kulak with utilizing, quote, personal computer PC-based war games, unquote, to help the Marines, again quoting, develop decision-making skills, particularly when live training time and opportunities are limited. Acting on Kulak's directive, the Marines' modeling crew nixed Doom's fantasy weapons and labyrinthine locale and in three months' time developed Marine Doom, a game that included only actual Marine Corps weaponry and realistic environments. Kulak liked what he saw and in 1997 approved the game, quote, it's not meant to replace field time, it never will, unquote, said Project Officer Lieutenant Scott Barnett. But there's a whole lot more that you can do with this tool. The fun factor is very important. That's what makes our Marines want to use it. But it's an honest-to-God training tool. You can do mission rehearsal, mission planning. Doom was just one game in the Corps' arsenal. The Marines were also playing games such as Harpoon 2, Tigers on the Prowl, Operation Crusader, Patriot, and another id first-person shooter, Quake, as well as hosting Doom tournaments. They also signed up with Good Times Interactive for a follow-up game, Battlesite Zero, exchanging their, quote, input and combat expertise, unquote, for a $1 million investment in the game. But the Marines were out for even bigger game.
Back in 1990, two members of the original SimNet project team, Warren Capps and John Morrison, had founded MAK Technologies to develop, quote, software to link, simulate, and visualize the virtual world. In 1997, the Marine Corps signed a deal with MAK. No longer content to dabble only in off-the-shelf software, the Marines passed MAK to create, quote, the first video game to be co-funded and co-developed by the Department of Defense and the entertainment industry. Dubbed MEU-31, an elite Marine expeditionary unit, the game, according to Caps, represented a major step for the DOD in that they are recognizing the benefits of collaborating with a commercial video game publisher from the beginning of the game design process. This will result in a video game which is much more realistic than any other game ever produced for this genre, making its commercial success highly likely, while at the same time giving the DOD the cost-benefit of unusually large volume sales for a military training device. And again, I think there is sort of a, 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 if we could do a Twilight Zone uh, projection through time, uh, Henry Miller's quote from Tropic of Cancer has uh, an ironic application in uh, the contemporary uh, resonant synthesis, the term I have coined, between video games and military training. And again, something that we will uh, ruminate about uh, when we talk about Rittenhouse Mason and the book on Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, uh, reiterating a passage that we read earlier. Certainly, the day is not far off when most potential U.S. troops will have grown up playing commercial video games that were created by the military as training simulators, will be recruited at least in part through video games, will be tested post-enlistment on on advanced video game systems, will be trained using simulation, which will later be turned into video games themselves or on reconfigured versions of the very same games used to recruit them or that they played as kids, will be taught to pilot vehicles using devices resembling commercial video game controllers, and then, after a long day of real-life wargaming, head back to their quarters to kick back and play the latest PlayStation or Xbox games created with or sponsored by their own or another branch of the armed forces. More and more toys are now poised to become clandestine combat teaching tools, and more and more simulators are destined to be tomorrow's toys. And what of America's children and young adults in all this? How will they be affected by the dazzling set of military training devices now landing in their living rooms and on their PCs, produced by video game giants under the watchful eyes of the Pentagon? After all, what these games offer is less a matter of simple military indoctrination and more like a mere immersion in a virtual world of war where armed conflict is not the last, but the first and indeed, the only resort. Uh, yes, indeed. 
I think that <laughs> is something to uh, contemplate. And uh, again, the vis-a-vis Kyle Rittenhouse, we'll come back to this. How could anybody be surprised by that? Uh, I mean, it, it, if that isn't exactly where this society is leading, and this is said, I have, I have no sympathy, frankly, for Rittenhouse or his mother, who I think there's an awful lot of uh, responsibility for driving her son uh, across state lines and armed to uh, a volatile situation. But overall, that is the logical, uh, I wouldn't say outcome, but the logical derivative of what is going on in this society. This is a violent society, and uh, we spoke in one of our earlier programs about the profound role between the military and the film industry and uh, TV. Uh, this is a society that is uh, the very incarnation of doom, and there is a pun there. Uh one of the things that is worth noting, and uh, as and this is in connection with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and uh, some of the civil disturbances that were extant in this country during uh, 2020, and there has been much dialogue about uh, police shootings and uh, whether they were necessary or uh, not. And uh, in that regard, again, keeping in mind the psychosocial effects of the pandemic uh, and uh, keeping in mind something we will talk about at greater length later in the program, namely the conditioning of uh, kids to basically become killers. And we'll talk about the, the book On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. But one of the, one of the outgrowths of the long wars in Afghanistan and Iraq has been the fact that many of the veterans of those wars, uh, infantry veterans of either the Army or the Marine Corps, going into the police, and uh, they certainly are uh, well qualified in terms of uh, their uh, behavior in a ranked hierarchical organization, taking orders from a superior officer, and of course the uh, deployment, mastery, and use of weaponry. Uh, The influx of recent combat veterans of America's wars into the police departments and in turn what I think is going to be an increasingly uh, desperate situation in at least parts of our inner cities, I think we are headed for a, a serious, serious uh, confrontation or uh, Confrontation is the wrong word, but I think uh, there is going to be a dynamic, a confrontational dynamic that is going to prove absolutely lethal. And in turn, uh, the eye toward the future in uh, combat military research, as 
exemplified by and embodied in the Department of Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency is indeed urban warfare, and there is uh, a lot of discussion in the book of uh, the complex about the military's projections about uh, warfare in very poor, desperately poor cities. And I think this is applicable to uh, the developing world where things are uh, in many ways going to get worse. And I think it is also something that is going to have relevance as growing numbers of combat veterans join our police forces. And uh, Nick Turse writes about this in a sub-chapter uh, called Purpose, Future War on the Urban Poor. In his book, Planet of Slums, Mike Davis observes, quote, The Pentagon's best minds have buried to venture where most United Nations, World Bank, or State Department types fear to go. They now assert that the, quote, feral, failed cities, unquote, of the Third World, especially their slum outskirts, will be the distinctive battle space of the 21st century, unquote. Pentagon warfighting doctrine, he notes, is being reshaped accordingly to support a low-intensity world of war unlimited duration against criminalized, excuse me, Pentagon warfighting doctrine, he notes, is being reshaped accordingly to support a low-intensity world of war of unlimited duration against criminalized segments of the urban poor. And I think this is true abroad, and I am afraid that it is going to manifest here at home as well. In October 2006, the Army issued an updated Urban Operations Manual. So, quote, Given the global population trends and the likely strategies and tactics of future threats, it declared, Army forces will likely conduct operations in, around, and over urban areas, not as a matter of fate, but as a deliberate choice linked to national security objectives and strategy, and at a time, place, and method of the commander's choosing, unquote. Global economic deprivation and poor housing, the hallmarks of the urban slum, are, the manual asserted, what makes, quote, urban areas potential sources of unrest, unquote, and thus increases, again quoting, the likelihood of the Army's involvement in stability operations, unquote. The manual's authors were particularly concerned about idle urban youth loosed in the future slum city from the traditional social controls, unquote, of village elders and clan leaders, unquote, and thus prey to manipulation by non-state actors, unquote. Indeed, and I think this is something that needs to be reflected upon both in terms of events that uh, may take place abroad and here at home as well. And again, I believe the pandemic is going to exacerbate these difficulties. 
uh, another section of this same chapter called Baghdad 2025. This uh, subchapter is termed American Terminators versus Drug Dealing Serial Killer Gorillas. As both the high-tech programs and the proliferating training facilities suggest, the foreign slum city is slated to become the bloody battle space of the future. Curiously, the Pentagon's conceptualization of urban space mimics Hollywood's escape from New York meets, meets Blade Runner meets Zulu meets Robocop-style vision of the third world city become. For example, the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps launched a program seeking to develop algorithms to predict the criminality of a given building or neighborhood. The project, titled Finding Repetitive Crimes Supporting Structures, defines cities as nothing more than a collection of, quote, urban clutter that affords considerable concealment for the actors that we must capture, unquote. The, quote, Hostile behavior, bad actors, unquote, as the program terms them, are defined not just as terrorists, unquote, today's favorite catch-all boogeyman, but as a panoply of nightmare archetypes, insurgents, serial killers, drug dealers, etc., unquote. For its part, the Army recently revised Urban Operations Manual offers For its part, the Army's recently revised Urban Operations Manual offers an even more extensive list of, quote, persistent and evolving urban threats, unquote, including regional conventional military forces, paramilitary forces, guerrillas, and insurgents, as well as terrorists, criminal groups, and angry crowds. Even the possible threat posed by computer hackers is mentioned. To deal with such dystopian megacities, where serial killers, drug lords, hackers, and urban guerrillas may have joined forces, only the Terminator will do. And indeed, Barbara is intent on developing a program worthy of a direct-to-video sci-fi thriller. In a recent solicitation, it offered a vision of a human-robot military swap team busting down doors in a favela of the future. The challenge is to create a system demonstrating the use of multiple robots with one or more humans on a highly constrained tactical maneuver. One example of such a maneuver is the -the through-the-door procedure often used by police and soldiers to enter an urban dwelling, where one kicks in the door, then pulls back, so another one can enter low and move left, followed by another who enters high and moves right, etc. In this project, the teams will consist of robot platforms working with one or more human teammates as a cohesive unit. The robots should be under autonomous control rather than remote or remote teleoperated. This last sentence again. The robots should be under autonomous control rather than remote teleoperated. This urban scenario of tomorrow already seems well launched. The military has, in fact, 
been obsessed with the idea of sending to war heavily armed, teleoperated robots, such as the Special Weapons Observation Reconnaissance Detection System, or SWORD's Talon, a small all-terrain track vehicle used by the military since 2000 that can be outfitted with N240 or N249 machine guns, Barrett 50-caliber rifles, 40-millimeter grenade launchers, and anti-tank rocket launchers. Noah Shackman, writing for Wired's Danger Room blog, reported in 2007 that, for the first time, swords robots armed with M249 machine guns had been deployed to Iraq. They had yet to fire their weapons by August, but, said the swords program manager Michael Zecca, that will be happening soon, unquote. And uh, still more in that regard, in a section called The Military and the Metropolis, uh, Nick Kers writes, In 2005, Burpa's uh, Deputy Director Robert F. Lehaney, L-E-H-E-N-Y, announced, over the, over the past year, we've begun more than 35 study efforts on ideas received in response to our agency-wide urban operations broad agency announcement, and we've launched a number of new programs across all DARPA offices and programs. We're targeted to spend more than $340 million on urban operations programs in the coming year, and we anticipate these programs will go to over $400 million in the out years. Cities are obviously on the Pentagon's hit list. Today it's Baghdad, tomorrow it could be Accra, Bogota, Dhaka, Karachi, Kinshasa, Lagos, Mogadishu, again, or even a perennial favorite, Port-au-Prince. Yet even with high-tech exploding frisbees, Spider-Man suits, and numerous urban training facilities coming online, the outlook for the U.S. military is not upbeat. In the wars begun since the U.S. High Command moved into its own self-described virtual city, unquote, the Pentagon, a distinct Inability to decisively defeat any but its weakest foes has been in evidence. Korea in the early 1950s, Vietnam in the 1960s and 70s, Lebanon in the early 1980s, and Somalia in the early 1990s were all failures. More recently, victory in Afghanistan has proved more than elusive, has proved worse than elusive, and the ragtag insurgency in Iraq has fought the Pentagon's much-hyped technological dominance and superior firepower to a standstill. While able to cause massive casualties and tremendous destruction, the Pentagon war machine has proven remarkably ineffectual when it comes to achieving actual victory. Now, the Pentagon has decided to prepare for a fight with a restless, oppressed population of slums of One more time. Now, the Pentagon has decided to prepare for a fight with a restless, oppressed population of slum dwellers already one billion strong and growing at an estimated rate of 25 million people per year. 
to take on even lone outposts in this multitude like any of the 400 cities of over 1 million people that exist today or the 150 more estimated to be in existence by 2015. Obviously, that dates the, uh, this text. is a recipe for both carnage and quagmire. Uh, again, when one sort of performs a mind experiment and takes uh, discussion in this book from 2008, and when one factors in, again, the large numbers of uh, infantry combat veterans who are joining, or combat veterans who are joining the police forces, and uh, then you basically make everybody more tense with the pandemic, uh, it should not be surprising that uh, we have things like either the George Floyd killing or the Kyle Rittenhouse phenomenon. Something worth keeping in mind, too, and uh, as we move past the one-year anniversary of the January 6th uh, incident at the Capitol, again, I find myself amazed that people find this shocking, because it really shouldn't be uh, very shocking. It should be uh, rather, uh, well, I wouldn't exactly say commonplace, but what did they expect? We're going to review some information from For the Record Program number 1003. Uh, in recent years, there was uh, one of a, a, a number of school shootings, this one at Parkland High School, and uh, what got most of the publicity was the fact that some of the students at Parkland had uh, begun organizing anti-gun, uh, in an anti-gun political mode. Uh, the fact that Nicholas Cruz had apparently done some training with a Florida militia and certainly had not only white supremacist views, but was uh, psychologically anyway part of Team Trump, did not receive a whole lot of publicity. Reviewing a portion of an article from the Daily Beast of March 1st of 2018, this by Dean, Obedala, O-B-E-I-D-A-L-L-A-H. Nicholas Cruz was a racist. Does that make his attack terrorism, unquote? And uh, skipping down, we read, As CNN had reported within days of the February 14th attack, Cruz had in the past spewed vile comments in a private Instagram chat room where he shared his hatred of, quote, Jews, unquote, Niggers, immigrants, unquote, Cruz also wrote about killing Mexicans and hating black people simply because of their skin color, and he slammed Jews in his twisted view because they wanted to destroy the world. And Cruz's white supremacist views also made their way from the online world to the real world. One of Cruz's Classmates reportedly told a social worker that Cruz had drawn a swastika on his book. One more time. One of Cruz's classmates reportedly told a social worker that Cruz had drawn a swastika on his book back next to the words, quote, I hate N-words. He also shared with other students his, quote, hating on, on, unquote, Islam and slamming all Muslims as terrorists and bombers, unquote. And Cruz was also seen wearing a Trump Make America Great hat 
when he was enrolled in school well before the attack. And skipping down and talking about the swastikas that Cruz had on some of uh, the magazines in his firearm. Given these newly revealed swastikas, it is long overdue that we have that conversation about whether Cruz was more than a troubled youth. And to be clear, Cruz was troubled. He had been repeatedly disciplined at school for disturbing behavior and for a period of time was placed in a special school for kids with emotional and behavior issues. On social media, he even wrote about his dream of becoming a, quote, professional school shooter, unquote. But when he was evaluated in 2016 by a mental health professional, he was determined to be stable and not in need of being involuntarily committed to a mental health institution. Well, um, Reflecting on that, and again, what has gotten publicity is the anti-gun political organizing of some of uh, Nicholas Cruz's uh, schoolmates. But reflecting on the virtual world of war, on the what I have termed the resonant synthesis of video gaming and military training, then factor in this. This is from Newsweek of March 1st of 2018, the same date. It is by Michael Edison Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N. Neo-Nazis, future school shooters using leaving game app to post hateful content in hundreds of groups. Report, reads in part. A leaving game app that is popular with adherents of the neo-Nazi wing of the alt-right movement, has at least 173 groups dedicated to the glorification of school shootings, according to a report published last week by Reveal News. Separately, dozens of neo-Nazi groups have cultivated active communities on the app. One more time. A leading gaming app that is popular with adherents of the neo-Nazi wing of the alt-right movement has at least 173 groups dedicated to the glorification of school shootings, according to a report published last week by Reveal News. Separately, dozens of neo-Nazi groups have cultivated active communities on the app. The report notes that these theme groups which typically have between twenty between thirty and two hundred active members, glorify men like twenty two year old Elliot Roger, who killed six people and injured over a dozen others in the vicinity of the campus of the University of California at Santa Barbara before committing suicide in twenty fourteen. Roger was a virulent misogynist and wanted to punish women for rejecting him. Other shooters, like Sung Hoi Cho, the Virginia Tech senior who killed 32 people in 2007, are also hailed in these steam groups. The groups have names like School Shooters Are Heroes and Shoot Up a School, unquote. Some of them allude to future school shootings yet to take place and are filled with racist language. Well, again, when you get uh, people who are recreating, uh, using some of these uh, video games that uh, are basically uh, 
in some cases directly adapted from combat training, and which in turn are then adapted to the development of combat training technology. Uh, and then you factor in uh, the preaching of not only white supremacist views, but the glorification of school shooting. Again, I did... Uh, Three, I did a couple of programs about this, uh, for the record, 1002 and 1003. Uh, it shouldn't be surprising when you have people like Nicholas Cruz, and really, you know, how could anybody be shocked by Kyle Rittenhouse? Something else to factor in at the same time. From an article from the Outline blog of February 26th of 2018, the alt writes. The alt-right is recruiting depressed people by Paris Martineau. Skipping down. Type depression or depressed into YouTube, and it won't be long until you stumble upon a suit-clad white supremacist giving a lecture on self-empowerment. They're everywhere. For years, members of the alt-right have taken advantage of the Internet's most vulnerable, turning their fear and self-loathing into violent extremism, and thanks to the movement's recent galvanization, they are only growing stronger. Quote, I still wonder, how could I have been so stupid, writes Reddit user U slash P Despero in a post detailing how he was accidentally seduced by the alt-right. Quote, I was part of a cult. I know cults and I know brainwashing. I have researched them extensively. You'd think I would have noticed, right? Wrong. These are the same tactics that Scientology and ISIS used, and I fell for them like a chump, unquote. I'm again quoting from somebody else. Nobody is talking about how the online depression community has been infiltrated by alt-right recruiters deliberately preying on the vulnerable, writes Twitter user Mr. Die Happy in a thread on the issue. They're, again, quoting, there need to be public warnings about this. Online pals, unquote, have attempted to groom me multiple times when at my absolute lowest, unquote. Well, that really, uh, again, if you take kids who normally are playing, you know, point-and-shoot video games, uh, many many of them, both adapted from video, actual military experience and or training technology, and which in turn, like the Battle of Easting 73, are turned into military training. The uh, resonance or resonant synthesis between gaming and uh, military training, factoring in both the inculcation of gamers with white supremacist ideology, and when you take people who are depressed to begin with and toss them into this uh, hellacious brew, well, you have something that is going to have uh, an altogether bloody outcome. Uh, there has been a lot of discussion, and you know, predictably in the wake of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, phenomenon or incident or verdict or whatever, and we've got to do something about guns. Uh, there are societies that have uh, a ubiquitous, well, in which firearms are 
omnipresent or ubiquitous and that don't have this problem. Two of them are Israel and Switzerland. And this is apart from uh, tensions often violent between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, basically, every uh, Israeli is, is in the army and then the reservists keep their service weapons capable of selective fire, either semi or fully automatic, in their home. Uh, the same thing in Switzerland. Basically, everyone, people, able-bodied persons join the reserves and they keep their military-style weapon in their home, capable of, of selective fire, either semi or fully automatic. They don't have this problem. So it isn't uh, the presence of guns per se that is producing the bloodbath. I think that a correct analysis of the situation is presented in a book which now has a new edition. The book is called On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. And he was a former army paratrooper and army ranger who taught psychology at West Point at the U.S. Military Academy. And he noted that the army had a problem where roughly 20% of uh, combat infantrymen would fire their weapons at the enemy during World War II due to the social conditioning against killing one's fellow human beings. That was up, I think, to 50% in Korea and up to 90% in Vietnam. And according to Colonel uh, Grossman, that was due to the resocialization and behavior modification techniques that the Army engaged in, including and especially the use of audiovisual desensitization and behavior modification techniques. And he compares those to, again, the high body count movies and television programs and the point-and-shoot video games that uh, kids are playing or young people are playing. Now a lot of young adults in the military are playing them. And he attributes that the rise in youth violence, uh, school shootings, and so forth to that. I'm going to read a section from the written description for For the Record 1003. The role of the media in conditioning young people to kill is a major focal point of the book On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who taught psychology at West Point. From Amazon's promotional text for Grossman's book, quote, The good news is that most soldiers are loath to kill but armies have developed sophisticated ways of overcoming this instinctive aversion. And contemporary civilian society, particularly the media, replicates the Army's conditioning techniques and, according to Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's thesis, is responsible for a rising rate of murder among the young. Upon its initial publication, on Killing was hailed as a landmark study of the techniques the military uses to overcome the powerful reluctance to kill, of how killing affects soldiers, and of the societal implications of escalating violence. Now, Grossman has updated this classic work to include information on 21st century military conflicts, 
recent trends in crime, suicide bombings, school shootings, and more. The result is a work certain to be relevant and important for decades to come. And uh, I then note, in addition to that uh, quote from Amazon's review, our high-body-count movies and TV programs, as well as point-and-shoot video games, according to Grossman, replicate to a considerable degree the audiovisual desensitization techniques used by contemporary armies to, rec- to help recruits overcome their inhibitions about killing. And uh, again, I said, we suggest Grossman's thesis as a factor in the school massacres. Uh, again, that, that should be taken into account. At this point in time, as I am speaking on January 10th of 2022, uh, we also need to think about, again, what I have termed the biopsyop apocalypse. There uh, are headlines in the media about the very strong tensions that uh, are well, I don't know, exploding, but are circulating in our public school systems. Uh, teachers, uh, notably, for example, in Chicago, are either on strike or threatening to strike because they are worried about being exposed to the new highly contagious uh, Omicron variant of the coronavirus. And a lot of parents are very upset at new of well, new orders or uh, school systems once again returning to remote learning. I think that it is going to be absolutely disastrous on the future behavioral development of children to be uh, relegated to remote learning. It remains to be seen how long and uh, how much this persists, but uh, one of the things that I noted in connection with the school shootings is that public schools, school in general, the public schools in particular, are a very important vehicle for socialization. It is where kids learn to get along with other people, uh, other people from uh, different uh, cultural and ethnic backgrounds, and it is also a medium in which uh, people are uh, taught certain broad societal values. And when you disrupt that, you are disrupting a major vehicle for socialization. And certainly, I think one of the things that, uh, quote, alt-right, unquote, white supremacists and Nazis are uh, aiming to do with their exaltation and their... their uh, hailing of school shootings as a desirable thing, and again, promoting that on video game uh, forums is really a a horrendous thing to contemplate, is they are seeking to disrupt just that. And I think as we contemplate the pandemic, and as I've 
stated in so many different programs. I do not think uh, this is a naturally occurring pandemic at all. Uh, the virus did originate in the laboratory. The laboratory was not in China, and it didn't leak. It didn't accidentally escape at all. When I update the uh, discussion of COVID-19, we're going to talk about uh, the Omicron variant, its origin in South Africa, ruminate a bit about uh, some of the things that I've discussed in For the Record 1128, some of the things that I've discussed in For the Record 1168 in terms of the very important Strunon brothers, a pair of identical twins from Germany who had uh, strong South African roots. And we're going to ruminate about uh, what some critics have termed vaccine apartheid and uh, what I have termed perhaps one of the things that the virus could be called as the neo-imperialist virus and that it is, I believe, going to exacerbate the already considerable gulf in the standards of living between the developed world and the developing world, and I suspect that is altogether deliberate. We should think very carefully about uh, some of the ruminations that Nick Truss engaged in vis-a-vis military planning for combat in urban slums of the future. Some of that may be taking place in the developing world, some of that may be taking place in uh, underdeveloped parts of our own country as well. But again, I turned uh, the early parts of my long, exhaustively long for many, uh, coverage of the pandemic, uh, biopsyop apocalypse. And I think that is basically what it is. Again, bear in mind that a paper authored by a member of the New York Federal Reserve uh, cites the 1918 influenza epidemic or pandemic as a key factor in the rise of Nazism in Germany because of the effect that it had on the psyches of young people who were growing up at that time. I think that should be contemplated in connection with what we are seeing now. Uh, the DARPA research into uh, bat-borne coronaviruses should be taken into account, as should the Pentagon's uh, retrieval of the genome from the 1918 influenza virus and its complete recreation from scratch by 2005. I don't think that what we are seeing is an accident at any level. And really, I don't understand how people could be surprised at Kyle Rittenhouse, because in so many ways, in terms of our media input, in terms of the video games that our young people are playing, uh, in terms of what uh, we are experiencing, in terms of the effects of the pandemic, uh, this is uh, Rittenhouse Nation, and I think that is a wave of the future. And I think that uh, what took place in the Capitol on January 6th is to the future of what is going to take place in America as the Beer Hall Putsch of 1923 was to Hitler's eventual ascent 10 years later in 1933. However, this is all we have time for in this program. This concludes for the record program number 1221. War Games Part 3, subtitled Rittenhouse Nation, being recorded on January 10th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.